0: And now, as we come to the scripture, if you'd like to read along with me, I'll be in James chapter 1. This is our, our last week in, in chapter 1 here. This is James chapter 1. Now, before we read, would you please pray with me? Our God, this is your word, these are your words. So now would you cause the word of Christ to dwell in us richly. By your word, would you teach us, instruct us, and bring us to love you more. We need your Spirit's help in this, so we ask that you would guide us now by your Spirit. Cause us to see, to believe, and to obey. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This is James in chapter 1. I want to read, at least. We'll take up the very last few verses, but read starting in verse 22 through the end of the chapter. So, James chapter 1, beginning in verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he's religious, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows and their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is the word of God. Now, In these very final verses of this chapter, especially in these last couple of verses, James is addressing here the issue of of religion. And so that will be our primary target subject for today, uh, to look here at religion. Excuse me. Uh, this, uh, this, these last verses are a segue, really, that are carrying us into chapter 2. So we'll be next week in chapter 2 where James begins to shift his writing approach in the letter. So there he'll begin to discuss uh, subjects one at a time in a more extended way. So he, it's a little more coherent beginning in chapter 2 and after that. So chapter 2 and following, we could summarize where James goes deeper there. But in chapter 1, he's going broader. So just honestly, on a very personal note, chapter 2 will be a bit of a relief, for me at least as a preacher, Uh, and maybe even for you as a listener, not because there's anything wrong here with this first chapter. Of course, it's God's Word, and all of God's Word is good and full of gold nuggets everywhere, but there's just so much packed into a small space here. And in chapter 2, James just kind of comes at us fast and furious. He's kind of hopping from one subject to the next, and sometimes it's not even clear how everything's connected to everything else. So if we were to only read through James's letter here once, if we only read it through once and then we're done with it, that would make us feel a little bit, I think, like like a Trolley ride. You ever been on one of those? Maybe the one downtown. You get to see everything, but just kind of briefly as it passes. Oh, there was Mark Twain's house. You know. Uh, oh, oh, there's uh, the the Rockcliffe Mansion. You know. Oh, oh lovers' sleep. Did you picture picture? You know. Here's the cave. Here's the winery, and you kind of spin through, and you get to see it all, but just in passing, you take the pictures. Maybe you get to hear the stories from the person who said them a hundred times into the microphone in the trolley. But you also have to keep a schedule. And so you've got to go, go, go. And a trolley ride is good. They're fun, of course, for what they are. But that's not what we want here. James does not want us to be tourists in this. We live here. We live here. We make our home in the Word of God. And because it's our home, when you live somewhere, you can return to it again and again and again, as often as you want, as often as you need. That's what we want. James will help us in this process of really digging into things. If the first chapter here of James feels a bit like a quick lap around the track, we'll see later that the car circles back again and he goes back through some of the same issues, but more slowly, more in-depth, and he, we get to take a better look, so it's as if he, he kind of parks the trolley at a particular spot, and you can get out and sort of walk around Mark Twain's house and get a better sense of what's going on there. Not only is James helping us in this, we need to own that if we really live in the Word of God, we want to be, need to be active in our engagement with this. You know, we're not just passive passengers that buckle up and kind of go along for the ride. If we treat the scripture like yesterday's newspaper, kind of skim it once and then toss it out when it's done, it's just not going to do us a lick of good. But James gives us an image here that's almost meant to be silly. You might have noticed as I read it through the first time, the, the guy who, who looks at his face in a mirror... You know, go, it goes right up to his bathroom mirror, or whatever's going on in the first century, goes up to his mirror, looks at his face, and then goes away and instantly forgets what he's like. You know, That's about as good as if you just never looked into the mirror at all. Instead of that, James calls us to look into the law, to really look into the law, and not just to look, but also to, to persevere in it. That is, to stick with it. The scriptures then are not just meant to be read once. They're not even just meant to be preached once through. The scriptures, the word of God, is meant to be molded. Over. Have you ever had a mold drink? You know, mold cider, mold wine. Have you ever made this? You take kind of the basic liquid, whatever it is that you're drinking, you add the spices, and you set it on your stove on low, and it just simmers for a long time. That's what we want. So if you, you were here with us last week, we spent 30 minutes focusing on just a little triplet proverb that's in verse 19, to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, And some people might think uh, that 30 minutes is way too long to spend on something as short as that, you know? That's another instance of a preacher just not knowing when to, to keep his mouth shut and when to wrap it up, you know? And maybe there's something to be said about that. But on the other hand, you and I both know that 30 minutes is barely, barely the tip of the iceberg for these sorts of things. I mean, if we really want to master what it looks like to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. That's probably going to take the better part of our lives to work through. I know I'm still in the process of sorting through that. So this is not just about knowing the Word of God, you know, mentally processing this. This is about acting upon the Word of God. Uh, I'm reading a lot of children's novels these days, just for reasons that I don't need to talk about, but reading a lot of children's books. And, and one this week I, I got to chuckle about because it seemed to fit with what was going on in the text here. And the, in this story, there's a bunch of kids sitting around in Sunday school, older times, so they were playing marbles before Sunday school. Anyone ever actually play marbles where you flick them and knock them out of the circle? At any rate, there's, there's one boy during Sunday school who's rolling over this blue emerald marble that everyone is just excited about and he's sitting there rolling it and one of the girls just is staring at that and she says I'm going to get that I'm going to get that marble I'm going to get it I'm going to get that marble she's talking and the Sunday school teacher looks at her and says Cassie did you memorize your verse for the week she stands up and says thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house or anything that thy neighbor owns and smiles real big teacher smiles real big she sits down I'm going to get that marble. (laughs) You know, something about that, you know, I chuckle at that just because it sounds so honest and real. She got the scripture, of course. She knows it in her brain, but it hasn't really sunk in. The closest thing that we have to a summary of the whole book of James, I mentioned this before, but it bears mentioning again, is verse 22, I think, where he says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. That's what James is seeking. That's what the Holy Spirit is seeking to do in us, to shape us into a holy people who really love God. And as Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my word. A large part of our love for God is our obedience to him. So we have to let this question settle in. Do you seek to be a doer of the word? Let that mull. Do I seek to be a doer of the word? I ask that not to make us feel bad or guilty about failures in it, It's because the alternative is not good. I don't want to be a hearer of the word who deceives myself. I don't want that for me. I don't want that to you. So we want, then, to be actual doers of the word now. As soon as we start talking about obedience and doing the word of God, there are some important things that need to be said here. We've said these things often, uh, and they, they, they cannot be said often enough because we tend to forget these things and we need reminding of them. So don't tune me out. This is not just old news, this is important news. Your doing of the word matters, but your doing of the word cannot save you. Not even a little. Your doing of the word does not contribute even a drop to your salvation. I do not care whether you are Hitler or Mother Teresa. Our lives do not consist of tally marks of good and bad, where at the end, God's going to get out his little calculator and add it up to see who meets the threshold to get into heaven. That is not how it works. To be in the presence of God requires pure holiness. pure holiness. He is not after good enough. You must be good. Good, good. And James will tell us later in chapter 2, if you fail at even one point of the law, then you are guilty of all of it. Which means that you are not good. You are not good, good. You are unholy. You are unrighteous, And therefore you are under the wrath of God. The good news, though, is that Jesus has come to earth, sent by the Father, to save ungood people. To save sinners. So in Jesus' work on the cross, what we call the atonement, Jesus Takes our unrighteousness on himself and he gives us his righteousness. Jesus gives you his righteousness. So, for every person who puts faith and trust in Jesus, you are counted righteous, fully righteous, actually pure and holy before God. So, listen to me if you've heard nothing else. If you trust in Jesus, you have the righteousness of Christ now. You have the righteousness of Christ, which means you can go no higher than that. You cannot be better than that. You cannot be more perfect than that. It is as good as it gets. And you cannot go less than that. You will not lose the righteousness of Christ. If you are grafted into him, you are his. You are in Jesus, a branch to the vine. You will not lose his righteousness. So if you ever feel accusations over your disobedience, because you will continue to sin... If you ever feel those accusations, either from Satan, or from your own mind, or from your neighbor, or wherever else it comes from, you know, that the, the, you know what you did. You know what you said. You know you shouldn't have done that. If you feel that and think that, your first response should not be, I'm going to do better. I'm going to clean it up. That is self-righteousness your first response would be to tell that thought, no, I have the righteousness of Jesus. I am as righteous as Christ. He is my Savior. I have his righteousness. And then pick yourself up and carry on and pursue obedience. When James tells us here, be doers of the word. The effect of that obedience, if we actually listen and carry out what he asks, if we actually become doers of the word, it doesn't save us. That work is done already. I mean, if you're a Christian, you are already saved now, not just later, maybe so. You are already saved. It's been decreed by the Father, secured by the Son, sealed by the Holy Spirit, God, triune God, has already saved you. So the effect of our obedience is not to save us. The effect, he says in verse 25, of our obedience is that we will be blessed. If you do the law, you will be blessed in your doing, he says. Jesus talks about this hearing and doing bit, and puts it a slightly different way, although it it dovetails with this nicely. At the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew uh, chapter 7, verse uh, 24, let me pick up. Jesus says this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will what? Hears and does them will be saved? No, that's not what he says. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be Like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on the house, but it didn't fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on the house, it fell, and great was the fall of it. In other words here, what Jesus says to us is that if we hear and do his word, it makes us wise. It makes us stable. It makes us sustained. That's the blessing that comes from doing the word. Now, Another way to talk about this doing of the word, or at least in the terms that James uses it here, so he talks about doing the word. Another way to talk about that is to be a person of pure and undefiled religion. So we need to unpack that. I said we talk about the issue of religion, so now, now, now we're there. Finally, It took me a while to get there, but here we are. What does it mean to be a person of pure and undefiled religion? The word religion is a tricky word. Um, you know, is religion a good thing or a bad thing? Well, mm, that depends. Religion can be good or bad. It depends on, on, on quite a few things. So a lot of times for me, maybe this happens for you also when people find out that you're a Christian, but when people find out that I'm a pastor, you know, kind of chatting with someone at the grocery store or on an airplane or something, oh, uh, you know, I'm a pastor, a lot of times people will say, oh, so you're religious. And I don't usually say yes to that, even though that's true in a sense. I usually say, I'm a Christian, just for clarity's sake. You know, people often talk about Christianity as one of the common uh, world religions. You know, you could be, be a Buddhist or a Mormon or, or you could be Jewish or Muslim or Christian, and that's a fine way to categorize you know, religions, I suppose, but that's not what James is talking about here in his discussion of religion. The scripture usually refers to Christianity not as a religion, but as a faith. That is by far the term most often used to describe Christianity, as the Christian faith. Which means, how then does religion fit with that? Religion is not the whole of the Christian faith, but it is part of the Christian faith. I say that again. Religion is not the whole of our Christian faith, but it is part of our Christian faith. I don't want to boil this down uh, too much or oversimplify, but generally, religion focuses on a set of practices that are based on a set of beliefs. A primary focus then of religion is on the practice. And Christians have a set of religious practices. One of them we're doing right now. We gather for worship which involves various things, singing and the hearing of the word. You know, we study the word together, that's part of our religious practice. Christians pray, fast, Christians have sacraments of the Lord's Supper and baptism we have giving of offerings these aren't just traditions or habits you know something that we've kind of learned to do over the course of time these are part of our obedience to Jesus this so true religion then is part of true faith so if there if true religion ought to be part of our Christian faith then there's two errors that we could fall into in regard to religion let me talk about the two errors very briefly here, one of the errors is to embrace the practice of religion as everything you know that this is the whole of our faith so I, I practice all the disciplines, I, I carry out all the ritual, rituals I do all the church things, and I think that's the whole enchilada. Where in reality, it's just the sauce. You know, a person can cross all the religious T's and dot all the religious I's and still miss the meat of the Christian faith, which is the person of Jesus himself. Jesus is the heart of our Christian faith. So that means that a truly devout Christian. If someone asks if you're devout, we are not devout mainly to our Christian practices. We are devoted to Jesus. It's not that we love the practices. We love Jesus and therefore practice these things. Without Jesus at the center of it all, all the religious practices just become trappings. So we should not embrace religion as everything. But there's an opposite error too which you may be able to guess by now. We should not reject religion as nothing either. In my experience this one, this error is the bigger threat of the day. It's becoming more and more common to just reject everything related to Christian religion. So people... In this mindset, will say, I'm a Christian, but I'm not like all those hypocrites that have to go to church. I'm spiritual, so I don't have to do all of those things. You know, it's about relationship, not religion, so I don't need all that extra stuff. A person who thinks that ignores the fact that Jesus Himself does not consider this extra. This is just not optional bonus things. Our religious practice is part, a vital part even, of our Christian faith. So we should not forget that it was Jesus, not the church, Jesus himself who called us to baptize people, to make disciples. It was Jesus who gave us the gift of the Lord's Supper and told us not to neglect it. It was Jesus who taught us to pray and who calls us not to neglect meeting together to worship. We cannot just toss out all the religious practices. You have to be careful about fooling ourselves into thinking that we love Jesus if we reject all the things that he calls us to. So to summarize the way that G- James here speaks about the Christian religion, Religion is not everything, it's not nothing, but it's a good thing. Christian religion is a good thing if, he gives a caveat, if it's pure and undefiled. So then that leads us into the natural question, what is religion that's pure and undefiled? What does it look like to actually live as a devout Christian? If I weren't reading through the letter of James here, and someone just asked me or asked you, what does it mean to be a devout, religious Christian? We might guess something like, you know, you should read your Bible, you should pray, and you should go to church. It's it kind of like the big three: read, pray, go to church? And those are not the things that James mentions. Now, to be clear, James is not giving us a definition here with a full exhaustive list of everything that makes pure religion. We can probably safely assume that that James agrees to pray and to read the scripture and to go to church are good things. But we should also notice what he specifically names here as pure religion, part of our faith in Jesus. He names three... And if you're wondering how late it is, I'm not going to unpack these three today. We're just going to see them from the trolley. Okay? Take your picture. Hear the little story as it goes by. Knowing that the trolley's going to roll back around, these themes will return again in the letter of James. So so he'll unpack them more. But for now, I'm just going to mention them so that you can stick them in the pot on your stove and let them mold. The three are in these last two verses. Let me read the the verses and then mention the three together. Verse 26, he says this. If anyone thinks he's religious and doesn't bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Did you hear him? The three traits he mentions here of pure religion are these a bridled tongue, care for the needy, and keeping from worldliness. bridal tongue, care for the needy, keep from worldliness. We'll get to dive more into these in coming weeks, but for now, know that this is what the Spirit of God seeks to work in us. So let it mull in your heart. Because if you do these things, by God's grace and power, you will be blessed and you will be a blessing Would you pray with me? Lord, would you help us to have a good and proper understanding of our obedience before you? Not to work things off or to earn any spot in heaven or to produce any sort of self-righteousness. But would you produce a holy obedience in us? Work a pure religion in us? that we would love and desire what you love and desire so that your righteousness would be displayed in and through us and that Christ would be honored and glorified. We ask your help as we pursue these things and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.